All right, you can turn to Matthew 28. Minus a couple of review sermons that we're going to preach, just kind of looking back at the whole series that we've been going through in Matthew, this is, in fact, the series finale for the book of Matthew. So, I don't know how that, how that rests with you, but I'm a little bit like, I'm going to kind of miss it. I mean, it's been almost two years, so it's also been, like, I'm excited for what's next. But man, we're here. This is it. We're going to finish, we're going to finish the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And, and I'll be honest, I was talking about it with Tiff yesterday. Like, I have a very short outline. Very short for me. Uh, I think this is just, I think... What Jesus says in here is something that's just kind of a, a simple call to action for us. We're going to look at a little of some of the details in there. But man, I think that God just has a simple message for us. Um, and so let's just go ahead and get into this. In Matthew chapter 28, I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole passage. We're picking up in verse 16. And I'm just going to read all of our verses for today. Starting in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So where we left off last week, we had seen Jesus reveal himself to a select few, a, a couple of women who had been coming to just kind of care for his dead body, right? They were coming to make sure that the tomb was taken care of, that he was being treated rightly. And he revealed himself as being resurrected. The angel said, no, he's not here anymore. He's alive. Go see this guy. He's, go see him. He said, go ahead to Galilee and see him. And he revealed himself to them there. And that's kind of where Matthew gave, that's kind of all Matthew gives us as far as the resurrection narrative. Because he really wanted us to focus on the fact that Jesus was alive and that all of his work was done. And he said, go ahead of me to Galilee and I'll meet you there. And if you read in some of the other gospel accounts, we get all these extra details about different people that he met along the way and different people that he talked to and different times that he revealed himself to the disciples. And so when we see these kind of, these kind of summary sentences, the 11 disciples went to Galilee and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There are lots of gaps in there. There are lots of pieces in there that we don't get all the details in Matthew as to what all went on. We don't get the story of Thomas being like, I don't think this is real until I can put my finger through the hole in his hand. And Jesus walks up and he's like, okay, Thomas, let's go. Right? We don't get that part of the narrative in Matthew. So we kind of get this big summary of what all was going down. And just like we have been for the last couple of weeks in Matthew, I don't want to... I don't want to muddy up Matthew's message by going and looking at all the others and kind of fill in some of the gaps because I feel like there's a specific reason that Matthew tells us this version of the gospel, this version of the resurrection story, this version of the Great Commission in the way that he does. And so I wanted to kind of look into it and say, why is it that we just get two sentences about this whole encounter with Jesus leading up to his ascension? Why, why is it that we don't get all of these details in Matthew? And as I'm reading it, it's a whole lot easier for me in Matthew to read putting myself into that situation because I haven't been walking along a road to Galilee and talking with a guy who all of a sudden I realize is the resurrected Jesus. But I absolutely have had times where I've doubted that he's powerful enough to get me through the thing that I've been in. 
I have absolutely gone through times where, where things seem hard and it's hard to kind of press forward and it's kind of hard to continue on and kind of get through the, the stage of life that I'm going through. And I think when, when, when any of us find ourselves in that kind of a situation, we're in a sense doubting the resurrection of Jesus. We're in a sense doubting the power of Jesus to get us through those things. Not saying we don't believe in him anymore, but there are definitely times in our lives where the way that we live our life, the way that we are acting, the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying in regards to whatever the difficulty may be that we're going through, reflect, man, I'm not so sure that Jesus can get me through this thing. And we find ourselves living in a season maybe where we're going through feelings of doubt. And so I think it's important to know that these guys who had been following Jesus for three years, they'd seen him do some amazing things, some miraculous things, some things that they had never would have expected they would get to see with their own eyes. This guy who had been taken away from them, now they're being told he's alive again. And they're already locked up inside a house, fearing for their lives, worrying that somebody, some guard's going to come along and take them off and kill them just like Jesus. Like this, this, this could be the end of their life in their mind. It makes sense that they're, in a, they're, they're struggling. They're going through some, some hard feelings of doubt, maybe. And I think that that's, that's normal for many of us. So I think that's kind of why Matthew gives us this kind of succinct, just know, it's okay. They doubted some too, but then they saw him, they worshipped him, they realized that he really was there, and, and they did get moved back to worship. Because Jesus is going to reveal himself to a select group of people, and these are the people that he's going to give this final message to, this final, these final marching orders, this final set of this is what I have next for you. Because you got to realize, when he came back to life, it wasn't that he came back to life and now he's going to rule, now he's going to reign over them physically, he's going to sit there and, and take over Rome and th overthrow. This, he still wasn't there to be their political messiah. As much as they wanted him to be for so many years, this still wasn't his mission. And so, and so he breaks it down and said, before I go, I have a few things that... I need for you to do. And I'm just going to read this Great Commission again. If you want to go back to it, you can on the screen. But it was just that he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's the mission. And sometimes it's easy to focus on the go, and, and we can get into all, and, and if, you've heard, if you've heard somebody preach a sermon on the Great Commission before, they always try to tell you that, that, that the imperative here is not go. The thing that you're supposed to do here is not go. The thing that we're, supposed, we're being told to do here is that we're supposed to make disciples. Your main mission, now that I'm leaving, is to go and make more disciples. And you could rather say go is more like as you go. It's an ongoing, mandatory process that we're being called to. It's not you have to get up from this place and be somewhere else. It's not that we have to get up and leave Johnson City or we have to get up and leave the United States. Though it might mean that. That's not, that's not the imperative. The, the, the word for everybody is make disciples as you are going through your life. God may call you somewhere else. God may take you away from your home here. God may say, no, I'm going to leave you here for a while. God may send you away and then bring you back. Who knows what God's plan is for where you are supposed to be. But wherever you are, wherever you are going, as you go, the call is make disciples. Create, be used by God 
to see more people believe in who Jesus is and begin following him. Not just, and these are all good things that we do, not just serve social causes, not just, not just feed people who don't have food, not just give clothes to people who do not have clothing. Though those are all important things that we as the church are supposed to be doing. We are supposed to love the people who are in need. We are supposed to serve physical needs as best we can, as best we are able. But our, but our objective is make disciples. If we don't get to the heart of the gospel as we are going, then we have missed the point of what our calling is. The mandatory part is make disciples. And, that's gonna, and he says very specifically, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this, was, and this was the big thing, right? This is the big transition that we've seen in Jesus' ministry, where you, had, where you had these religious folks in Israel who'd been saying, it's all about us, God's called us, we're his people. And Jesus has been slowly flipping the script on them, saying, no, I'm, I'm moving away from you guys because you guys have missed the point. The whole point was always that, that God be made known to all nations, that, that this message of who I am, this message of salvation, go to all nations. I put you here as a, as a, as a holy set-apart nation so that you could shine your light and say, this is who God is. Our God is the God who you should serve. And Israel had continually been missing that point. And now Jesus is here. Again, reiterating, the whole point of this mission is that it goes beyond just this little group of people. This is a thing for the world. This is a thing for all people groups to know. Um, this, is, this is still a mindset that we struggle with. Um, there were some pretty tragic things that happened in our country yesterday in Charlottesville. There is still a presence of evil in us that is still very racially centric. The way I am is the best way to be, and I don't love anybody else if they aren't the way that I am. But that's not the heart of the gospel. And the scary thing is, is that sometimes some people allow the lines to get blurred between the people who acted so evilly yesterday and the people that we spend our lives with and the people that we would call our brothers and sisters. And those lines can so easily be blurred. But those are not of us. That's not who we are. We are a people who have been called to love all nations, all people, and see all people be made followers of Jesus. And not become so selfish and so proud to think that who we are, the way that we were made, is the only way that God really wants us to be. First um, Peter, this is going to be up on the screen, chapter 2, describes, describes the people of God as this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day of visitation. Yeah, we were a nation of many different people. We were all sorts of different, have nothing in common with one another. But the thing now, as we are being, as we are being changed by the power of the gospel, the changed by the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we are being changed, we are no longer a different people. We are all created beings made in the image of God who are being made one holy nation, one separated people set apart for the glory of God. Yes, we still live in a place of evil. Yes, there is still evil. We are to live as, as visitors in that place. Yes, have a good reputation. Yes, love the people that are there. Yes, serve the people that are there so that when they see that the way you act, they're giving glory to God, not to you. But that's the, that's the message, is as you go, as you go make disciples, you're making disciples of all nations, and you are not, you are not keeping this so, so centralized on your one particular people group, the people that live their lives the way you like, but you realize that we are all, all broken, sinful people that have been made in the image of God. And all desperately need the power of the gospel. So as you go, wherever you are, wherever we may be after we leave this place and find ourselves somewhere else after this and then somewhere tomorrow, and wherever we are, we're to be about the mission of making disciples. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is so easy to get off on so many tangents with regard to how do we baptize? Why do we baptize? When do we baptize? But man, it just seems like when I'm reading this that this is a vital part of the Great Commission. You save people, you baptize them. Let me tell you one thing I'm not saying, and I always feel like I have to add this caveat. I'm not saying you have to be baptized to be saved. I'm also not saying that baptism is what saves you. Like, it's not that. But it's so important that we cannot ignore that Jesus says, make disciples and then baptize them. There's a reason that in Acts 2.41, right after Peter's given this, this, big, this big sermon and all these people are being saved, that it says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There's a reason that it points out that piece. It's not just that he preached this thing and they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. It says they baptized him. And that day they added 3,000 people. The re I mean, I'm not saying it's just a bookkeeping thing, but it sure helps to know who's actually in on this thing. There's a reason that we're called to be baptized so that we can declare to the rest of the church, I'm in on this with you. There's a reason that it's immediately followed up so that you can say, I'm in, let's go. All right, let's go get you baptized so that everybody else knows too, because that's what we do. It's not what saves us, but it's what we do. And we cannot overlook the importance of declaring our faith in Jesus publicly. We cannot keep this thing to ourselves. We cannot, because the whole point of this mission, the whole point of this message is that we're getting this message out. We're getting it out in public. So why wouldn't we want to be baptized? Why wouldn't we want to declare to everybody around us who's in the church, look, I am here with you. I'm going to do this thing so that you can know that I believe the things that you believe. So you can know that I am in on this mission that you have been called to. It's part of our mission. Make disciples and then baptize them. And then what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
I find it interesting that this is sometimes a point of contention for us, right? This is sometimes a thing that, that we get resistant to. All right, I said I believe Jesus. I said I'm going to follow him. Quit trying to change me now. Let me be the way that I am. Let me continue to do the things that I do. I've got salvation, so that means I'm not going to hell. I'm good now. Quit trying to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life. You don't think... We've heard this before. Are you trying to tell me how I'm supposed to do this? Are you trying to tell me how I'm supposed to raise my kids? Are you trying to tell me how I'm supposed... I'm not trying to tell you how to raise your kids. I'm not trying to tell you how to act when you go to work. I'm not trying to tell you the words that you're supposed to say when you speak with somebody who makes you really, really angry. What I'm trying to tell you is what Jesus said. And what Jesus said is, teach them to be like me. We call that discipleship. It doesn't just end with, I'm going to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means that you begin to change and become more like him. We teach the truth of the faith. We teach the, the, the core principles of what it is that we believe. But we also teach people to obey those same commands. It's more than just knowing what Jesus said. It's obeying the things that Jesus said. Right? We have this kind of a conversation back and forth with our five-year-old. It's like, it's not just that you would know what we want you to do. It's not just that you listen. Like, you can hear the things we're saying, but if you don't obey if you don't follow it up with the action that we have asked you to follow it up with, what was the point of your having heard the truth? The thing that we've asked you to do. I'm sure parents in here are like, I wish, yes, absolutely. That's what he's saying. He's saying, teach them to obey. Teach them to do the things. Not just, not just tell them who I am and how it was that I lived my life and the things that I taught. Don't just teach that. Actually follow up and tell them, now be like Jesus. Be more like him. Stop doing the sinful things that you've done in your past. You've been redeemed from those things. You've been, you've been taken out. You've been given a way out of the sin that has been dominating your life ever since you were born. You now have this, this way out, this hope. We are to, as believers, become like Jesus. And I love this ending, and it's going to kind of take us back to the beginning here in just a second. He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Because the thing that he's asking us to do, the calling that we've been given, is not an easy one by any means. There's no point where he says, he says, you know, take up your cross and follow me. That's not easy. There's no point where he says, be patient when people sin against you and treat you like an outcast and say they don't like you anymore because you're, you're spreading this, mission, this message of, of who I am. When you're rejected, that's not easy. It's not an easy thing. And it's easy to sometimes feel like we're out on an island, right? It's sometimes easy to feel like, like we, are, we are on our own in this and the world around us absolutely wants us to just shut up and go away. Um... There's an article, you retweeted it earlier this week from Desiring God. Um, it's on our CRC Twitter. You can go back and find it. We may post it again just to make sure. But it was talking about how hard it can be to be called to some places. And sometimes when you get called to difficult places where you are on your own, it's easy to lose sight of who Jesus is. And it's easy to start to feel overwhelmed and like, I don't even know why I'm here. Maybe I should just quit. 
And it's in those moments that we're supposed to remember that last promise that he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We might not have a whole lot of people around us. We might be called to go somewhere around the world where nobody's ever heard the name of Jesus. We might be called to go two blocks over where people have never heard the name of Jesus. And when we get there, we might find that it's really tough to find community. We might find that it's really tough to have people for our kids to... For, kids for our, our children to play with. We might, have, we might have times where it's like, I feel really alone and without friends. And what he's saying is, in those times, that's when we need to lean on the fact that Jesus says, I am with you, and I am enough, and I can get you through this, and I will not abandon you, and I am enough for you. Because sometimes, just like some of the disciples were doubting Jesus' resurrection. Um, there are times when, when we doubt Jesus' mission. Like, I'm, I'm tell, I want you to go here, and I want you to make disciples. All right, I've been here five years, and I haven't seen a single person get saved. I want you here, and you're going to make disciples. But God, I haven't, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't seen anything accomplished. I mean, if you asked us when we planted the church... How many years ago? Four years? Four and a half? Almost five years ago? And you said, what do you, hope this, what do you think this church will look like in five years? I think you would have gotten a bunch of different ideas, a bunch of different answers, but I don't know that any of us would have described exactly what this church is. But God has continued to show himself to be faithful to put the right people in the right place at the right time in this place and put us in the lives of different people at important moments of their life and give us the opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And then he calls them away. So sometimes we can doubt the mission of Jesus. Man, this is really hard. I don't know that this is actually where I'm supposed to be. I don't know that this, this, this whole God, Great Commission thing is actually working. I'm not seeing all of these results. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't made any disciples. I haven't done this. And, and we start, stop and we think and we're saying, I'm saying I a whole lot. And then we can think back to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter 16. I think this is one of the most important parts of all of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, 19. It's going to be on the screen. This is right after Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I, Jesus, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is the one who is building his church. Jesus is the one who gives us the success when we follow the mission. How do we know that Jesus is the one who does this? Well, look back at the very beginning of this great commission. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because he's the one who gets to make that call. He's the one who has the authority. God has handed him all the authority and said, here, you are in charge of this. Build the church now. And Jesus says, I can do it. The reason he can say, I'm going to build my church is because he's the one who's got the power to do it. I don't have the power to build the church. You don't have the power to build the church. We have been given this, this mission by God who has the power through Jesus to build this church. And he only asks that we be obedient and do the things that he says. So when he says, therefore, go, 
and make disciples. He says, therefore go. That's said in light of the fact that Jesus has the authority to make that happen. Do you see that? Conjunctions are so important, right? All authority has been given to me, therefore, in light of the fact that I have the authority to tell you to do this, in light of the fact that I'm powerful enough to make this happen, go make disciples. So in times when it's easy to doubt the mission of Jesus, does this really work? Is this really effective? Is this place that I've been called really the place that I should be? I feel like if I just went to this place, it'd be a whole lot easier to be a disciple. If Jesus calls us here, he's powerful enough to give us the results. And instead of sometimes becoming overwhelmed and maybe even a little bit depressed, thinking, man, this is really hard, we need to look to Jesus, who's the one who's able to give us the success and say, Jesus, you got to do something here. I'm exhausted. I've been trying so hard on my own all this time. And I've just got to let go and trust that you are able to do this. So here's the question, and then we're done. This is it. This is the last question that I have coming out of the book of Matthew. What are you doing? What are we doing? You're doing something. You are doing something. You are going to go to a job tomorrow. You are going to go to a class. Uh, you are going to go back to your house and spend time with your family. You are going to go out to a meal and interact with somebody who is going to serve you food and you're going to have a conversation. You're going to go somewhere and somewhere there's going to be an opportunity to make another disciple. Somewhere there's going to be an opportunity to live like a follower of Jesus and talk like you were a follower of Jesus. We're all going to go somewhere. As you go, trusting that Jesus is powerful enough to make this work. Trusting that Jesus is the one who's able to build this church. Knowing that we can rely on him. And even though it might seem impossible and terrifying, we can lean on the fact that he says, I've got this. You can trust me. What are we doing as the church? There's no reason for us to kind of sit on our hands and be scared. There's no reason for us to go lock ourselves in a room like the disciples had and think, oh, we're just waiting for somebody to come and haul us off to jail and throw us away. There's no reason for that because we've got, we've got the one who has the authority on our side. It won't necessarily be easy, and sometimes it might not seem like a whole lot of fun. <laughs> That's just the nature of being people who are living as sojourners among a world filled with people who don't love Jesus and don't love the message that his people bring because it's hard and it's challenging for them. So we could turn this into a really specific conversation about here's some ways that we can go out and make disciples. I don't think that's super helpful for me to do right here. I do think that, that this is the kind of thing that leads to a better, more specific discussion in our community groups about what, what specifically, and like not letting each other off the hook with, oh, I, talk, I, I try to live in this way when I'm at my job but I don't really say anything. I'm kind of passive, but I live in a certain way. Like, like not letting that fly. How are you trying to actively be making disciples? And asking that in our community groups. Asking that when we share a meal together in just a little bit when we're having lunch. Asking that when, when we're spending time with our family. Like, like not, not 
not wussing out and saying, oh, you're good, I, I believe that you love Jesus, but, but like actually asking each other the hard questions. How are you going about living out the Great Commission and making more disciples? That's the kind of conversation we need to be having because, because it's so... It's so right there in front of us. Just do this, and I will give you the victory. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, like this is one of the easiest, it's one of the easiest prayers that we could pray, because he's, we've said this before. If we're praying for the will of God, he's going to say yes. So if we're praying, God, give me the opportunity to make disciples. Put people in front of me, and give me, give me the confidence to actually say the things that I need to say. He'll say yes, absolutely. Because that's what, he, that's what his will is for us. So let's pray.